Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our new website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans. Welcome to episode number 238 of the Peristyle Podcast. Today is September 17th, 2012. Got a big show for you this week on the Peristyle Podcast. Of course, everyone wants to know about what happened up at the farm. USC lost to Stanford 21-14. to We're going to have Dan Weber, who was up there at the game. Uh, we'll talk to him a little bit later on the show. We have Coach Harvey Hyde coming up in the first segment. We're going to get all of his thoughts on what went wrong for USC. We have uh, a lot of questions to get to, as you can imagine. If you have any questions or comments, you can drop us an email. Podcast at uscfootball.com is our email address, or you can call 206-888-6755, leave a voicemail there, or go right to peristylepodcast.com. And click on the left side of the page to leave a voice message for us. We can play on air and answer your question to the best of our abilities. And like I said, first up, we have Coach Harvey Hyde. What's up, Coach? How you doing, sir? Ryan, how you doing, buddy? It's Monday, and it's a new week, and it's Cal week, and you've got to forget about Cardinal week. You've got to move ahead. You've got to uh, uh, be positive. You know, there's a lot of great teams that lose one game a year. And the the character of a team is now what you test. The character of coaches is now what you test. You've just left a street fight, a real war in Palo Alto. You've returned home. You're wounded. You're wounded physically. You're wounded emotionally. And now it's time to, you know, go in the training room, tape it up, stop the bleeding, and get yourself ready for another football game. Dust yourself off, pick yourself up, and uh, get going again. That's what these Trojans are going to have to do. Uh, going into Cal, coming a home game uh, this weekend on Saturday at the Coliseum. Uh, I wanted to thank our sponsor before we go any further, Southern California Tickets. If you need tickets for that USC Cal game, you can go to sctickets.com or give them a call, 1-800-888-7287. Tickets for any of the USC games, you can check them out. And if you want to go to the theater or something like that too, take your girlfriend, take your wife, go ahead and do that as well, 1-800-888-7287. Coach, I guess, yeah, I know you've had a, a lot to talk about over the last couple of days. I mean, was there one thought, I guess, that you know, we can start with? We have a lot of questions to get to. They'll probably touch on a lot of the things you want to talk about. But was there one thought in your head coming away from that game that just really stuck out that you couldn't get you couldn't get out of there? Well, I think the physical play of Stanford is something that really impressed me. Uh, they played at a level of, uh, of intensity that they knew they had to. Uh, they played hard the entire game. Not that SC didn't play hard, but they really brought their game. They brought a game plan. They executed that game plan, both offensively and defensively. They covered up their weaknesses by their secondary was young, and one way they knew how they could protect him is to rattle the quarterback, get after the quarterback, disrupt the routes, make them take away. They took away what SC did the best as far as in their passing game and said, make him do something else to beat us, and they didn't do that. And also on the offensive side, they say we've got to control the ball, keep the ball away from USC, be very physical, and uh, protect uh, Nunez and make him uh, complete 
some passes. He didn't. They didn't want him to, uh, you know, win the game with him, but they needed to have some big plays out of him. So they put him in a position where he could make those plays. He ran the ball a couple of times for key plays. Uh, he didn't run out of bounds. He's a he's a young kid, uh, and uh, he's going to mature, and he's going to become a, a good football player. I think the one thing that sticks in my mind the most from that game is how physical Stanford was. And then I go and I look at the depth charts, and I say, hey, guys, there's got to be a change in attitude, game plan, preparation, if you plan on beating Stanford. Because I said always before, I don't know if I said it on the podcast, but I've said it on another broadcast, they are not intimidated by USC. And USC has a trouble has trouble beating Stanford because they're not a physical football team. They're a finesse football team. They do not believe in the run. And if you take the pass away from them, you've got to utilize your complete passing game to beat them, which means you've got to have a complete package by throwing to all receivers and have in your game plan screens and draws. You saw what Stanford did with the screen against USC. You've got a nickel diamond and make your running game the passing game so that they can't do what they did as far as smacking your running backs and shutting down your running game like they did. But when you look at Stanford's depth chart, uh, you look at them, you got both tight ends back. You've got one of the two left tackles back. You've got all three offensive left guards back. You've got the second team center back. You've got the two depth right guards back. The right tackle, you've got all three back, and I already mentioned the two tight ends. You've got your quarterback back. You lose Stephon Taylor. You've got uh, both fullbacks back. You've got both receivers, though you lose Terrell. You lose one receiver. And then on the defensive side, which hammered you, you've got 90 and 91 back, both those defensive ends. You're a 6'6", 278, and 277. One's a sophomore. And one's a junior. You got number 58, 6'2", 300 pounds. It just pounded you all day on the nose. You've got both the defensive ends back on the other side, 49 and 92. You've got you lose three linebackers, but you got one linebacker back, and you got the complete secondary back. So it's not like things aren't going to change up there. They've got depth. They've had great recruiting years. So. You've got to look at what your game plan is, how you plan on beating them. But there's two teams basically right now that challenge USC currently, and there's others growing and getting tougher, and that's Oregon and Stanford, two different styles of teams, one very physical and another finesse team. But the other finesse team runs the football. The Anthony Thomas and the running backs they have up there get 200 yards, 100 yards, every game, but they do it a different way, and they throw the football, and their quarterback is mobile. So USC doesn't have a mobile quarterback. They know where he is, so you've got to put together a philosophy of where you utilize your complete offensive game plan in being able to play these type of teams. But defensively now, the Trojans run well, but they can't be on the field all the time. And I really believe USC's defense played good enough to win. And I can't believe them passing up a field goal. What was it, a 13-yard field goal for a fake field goal? You've got to have a place kicker. Who knows when Hadari's coming back? It's going to come down to something like that, and you've got to build confidence in a kid. You kick that field goal at 17-14, you're up by two scores, and it's a defensive football game. So this is my opinion. 
the second half, USC has really the first half of the game, season. USC has played better, outscoring their opponents uh, almost two to one. And I was very concerned at halftime on the game adjustments and how they were planning on changing what they're doing. But you can't throw the ball into their strengths with their double teaming and triple teaming your receivers. You've got to utilize your other great players, your tight ends, and I'm not going to get into the routes and all of that stuff. But that's my summary of the game. All right. Well, we we have a lot of questions. We'll touch on some specific points. Here's our. Uh, we're going to start with a voicemail question uh, from our friend Miguel. Here you go. Hey, Ryan. It's Miguel. Got a couple of things I want to ask uh, Coach Harvey. So much for the unfinished business. Uh, Barkley getting the Heisman. USC playing for the national championship all thrown out the window with his awful performance. Uh, disappointed in USC. Disappointed in Kiffin. I got out coached. Um, disappointed in Monty Kiffin. Uh, just wanted to get your thoughts on this, and do you think that uh, USC can uh, actually uh, gain from this game and actually uh, play better throughout the whole season? Um, I don't see us beating Oregon the way we're playing right now, and we would definitely get crushed by USC, um, by LSU or uh, Alabama. Thank you very much, and fight on. Well, thank you very much for you, uh, your call. Uh, number one, first of all, uh, I think to be a great football team, you have to run the football, okay? Yeah, you look at Alabama, what do they do? They run the football. Yeah, they have good quarterbacks, but they're not going to get the Heisman Trophy. Their running back got it last year. Uh, you take LSU, they run the football. You take Stanford, they run the football. You take Oregon, they run the football. You take Oklahoma, they run the football. Now they all throw the football, too but you've got to have respect in the running game. So I think that's one thing you've heard me talk about all the time. Now, as far as Coach Kiffin is concerned, I mean, he's taken a lot of heat. And uh, some, uh, as a head football coach, you, that's your job. Your job, you understand it when you are a head football coach. They pay you big money to be a head football coach. There's good days and there's bad days. And I think what really happened with USC, the off-season publications – of how good USC was supposed to be. Starting in December when Barkley and McDonald said they were coming back, is they put them at a level, <clears throat> excuse me, where it's almost impossible to reach that level of play. And you're never happy whether you win or not. But I think that when you're responsible for putting yourself in that position, then you need to do what you need to do to try to accomplish what people think of you. Now, in Coach Kiffin's situation, he's getting the double hit. And what I mean by that, when you're the head football coach, you have to answer for the entire football team, offensively, defensively, special teams, the whole package. But when you're the head football coach and you're the offensive coordinator and you call every single play, now people are saying, what's wrong with the team? They ask him that as a head football coach, and then they ask him, what's wrong with the offense, which he's in charge of? So now he gets a double hit. So he's in a very difficult situation. Can USC recover? Absolutely. They've lost first games a lot of times. A lot of teams. I lost. I was the number one team in the country one year in junior college. I remember this game. We played Citrus. They beat us in the first game. We were in shock. We couldn't lay down. We had to come back. We had to play. We ended up winning our next 11 games and won the national championship again. So what I'm saying, if you're going to lose, it's better to lose early. And I don't want to ever lose. 
because you have a chance to work yourself back up. Really, in the position that the polls gave him, gave them, is not as bad as what I expected. Because they didn't lose to a bad football team. They lost to a good football team. Now, if they continue to play well and they can win all their games one at a time, they can work themselves back up. And remember, they're in the South Division. So the Rose Bowl isn't gone. The National Championship is something you don't talk about anyway. You've got to win your conference first. So they've got to win their Southern Division, play for the championship game against whoever wins the North. Remember, Stanford and Oregon are in the North, so they'll beat each other out of there. They'll play one of those teams if they can beat UCLA and the other teams. And I currently think the South is tougher than the North. And they can play in the championship game in the Coliseum, but they've got to beat Oregon twice. But all of that is accomplishable. All of it is. And the worst thing you go to then is the Rose Bowl. That isn't all bad. Yes, the national championship, we all know you have to be lucky as well as good. So what you have to do, as I said when we opened this podcast, you've got to stop the bleeding. You've got to throw that film away. The only thing negative about that film, you pass that film on to other opponents. Now, when Cal's players look at that film today, what do they think? Oh, man, we can do that, too. We just played Ohio State. We should have beat Ohio State. We missed three field goals. We had a touchdown called back. We can beat this team. So what you've done now, instead of intimidation in the Coliseum, these teams come down in their white jerseys, and they say, we can beat them. So you can't let them stay in the game. You can't continue to let them play with you. You've got to finish the game and put them away. And this is something that SC has to do is finish. And it's something that they've struggled with over the last couple of years. They've got to finish. But the number one thing, I think, the correction that has to happen with USC is the correction of some of the coverages and some of the game planning that's going on on the offensive side of the football and also give the kids a chance to display their skills. All right, Coach. Uh, let's see. We're going to go to... And I'm sorry I'm going on so long. No. I know I'm sorry, but I, I feel that our listeners deserve an explanation of what's going on. They're all right now mourning. Everyone is right now in a point of what's going to happen to us. Well, they've got to pick themselves up, too. This is a moment when you have to become now... If you think you feel bad, how do you think the kids feel? Yeah. Just think about that. How do you think the kids feel? You know how many hours they have invested in this program? So let's look at them and support them and bring them back. All right. Well, let's, here's an interesting question from Kiev, Ukraine. It says, hello, this is Dimitri from Kiev, Ukraine. I don't know if we've got a Ukraine question yet, so that's cool stuff. Thanks, uh, Dimitri. Question for the coach. Uh, sure, the offensive line had problems versus Stanford, backup center, etc. but could Lane Kiffin do anything to help the O-line out against constant pressure, i.e. throw screens, roll out Barkley to throw on the run. It's a miracle Barkley didn't get hurt after all those sacks and pressure applied to him. Yeah, after the fact, uh, you always go back and you look at things, and it's a lot easier after you have a moment to sit down and think about them or watch the film, obviously. But I would have to agree there were ways to help him. You do roll a guy out. You roll him away from the pressure. And from the inside pressure, and you try to run uh, run him away from the pressure. Uh, the bootleg uh, and all of the running game play-action passes weren't worth a damn, because all that did was uh, give him a longer opportunity to get after you, and you couldn't run the ball anyway. So you got to give give up the passing game or the running game and bootlegs 
as far as play action pass, excuse me. I'd have left him in the shotgun a little bit more where he had more time to throw the ball. I wouldn't put him under center. There was one time during the game that if I was a head coach, I'd have said, let's don't run the football. We can't, it's, it's really wrong to run the football. We can't move the ball on football. We're wasting it down and the clock keeps running and blah, blah, blah. Especially about a couple of key times in the game and delay of games and, and personal fouls and these things that hurt USC during the game. And I want to get into all those because Stanford had a lot of penalties in the first half too. So, uh, yes, the number one thing you have to correct is when I'm a defensive coordinator, when I look at a team, I say, what do they do the best? I'm Stanford's defensive coordinator. You know what USC does the best? They pass to Lee and Woods. They pass to him where? On the sideline and in the flats, quick screens and so on. So what am I going to do? i got to take them out of the game and do something they don't want to do. They don't want to throw to their tight end. And uh, they don't want to run the football. They're not a running football team. So let's take away those guys. So what they did is they played to the outside. They double covered. They played a lot of cover two. That means they automatically have a double team unless you put someone in the flat to draw the corner up to cover him. And they and and USC continually tried to throw into it. The receivers you could see became very flustered. That's how he got a couple of his interceptions or one intercept was he threw right to three guys were over there. You've got the whole middle of the field to throw the football to. You've got two great tight ends. You run on post, post corners. You run the receivers on post corners. This is the way you beat a cover two. You run backs down the seam. You you spread the field, uh, and you didn't see any of that. And the questions a moment ago was, why don't they run draws and screens? Well, if you're a passing team, and USC's a passing team. Let's don't say they're a running team. They became a a great team at the end of the year last year because they became a running team. They discovered the run. But they're not committed to the run, and I hate to say this, but in the first two games when they went down to the, the goal line, what did they do? Did they ever run a, a play in for a touchdown? First on the goal line, they passed the ball uh, on the one-yard line. There's no confidence building building in your offensive line when you throw the ball every time you go down to score a touchdown when you're in the, in the red zone or on the five-yard line or the one-yard line. I mean, you've got to work on those things when you have an opportunity of doing that. So you've got to be able to adjust to what someone does. And I said it earlier. If they do this, I do that. There isn't one defense that covers everything. If you're going to take away my wide receivers, then you've got linebackers or you've got somebody else on my tight ends, and that's a mismatch. I've got two tight ends that are pretty good players. And play calling is important, too. You don't run a seam route on third and four. And I don't want to pick out individual plays because I could do that all day. Third and four, they run a seam right to t- route to uh, Telfer. He runs right into the safety. A key, key play, instead of curling up to the open area and playing catch and getting the first down, was a double teaming Woods and Lee. Now, do you notice how Aguilar came across the middle earlier? Caught that nice pass, went for 49 yards. Woods caught a nice pass across the middle when it was third down and, I don't know, 100 yards ago, but made the first down. Well, the middle area was open, and you have to learn to attack that in different ways so that it keeps the outside open on your special plays you like to roam with these two great athletes. So in in summary, it's a combination of, of making sure 
you play chess when you're an offensive coordinator. And uh, when you have great athletes, you want to isolate them. You want to isolate them in a position where they can be successful. All right, Coach. Well, we got a bunch more questions to get to, so we'll try to knock these out. And just to let people know, we're not going to get to anywhere close to all the questions we got this week. And I do apologize. Uh, we had more voicemail questions. We had one guy call in. I'm not sure what he was doing. He called in like six different times with the exact same voice, same number, but said he was six different people from different parts of the country. So I'm, I'm not proud sure. of my guy. He's I don't know winner. what the. I'm not sure what that was. If you want to get all we of them. We ought to questions. take one of his. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then you know, we had we had some guy wrote about a thousand words for a question. We can't read that. Sorry. That's just, there's kind of a short show, but we'll try to get to, to most of them, the, the ones that we can. This one's interesting from Troy 75 coach. He said, in truth, SC only played great last year after they threw caution to the wind. In my humble opinion, great athletes need to be trusted. What's going on here, coach? Uh, what did he mean? So he, he, he mean wants last year. I, and I, I think I talked about this before where, now, SC didn't really have any expectations last year. He couldn't go to a bowl game. And and towards the end of the year, they did throw caution to the wind. They just kind of played, let their athletes play, get out there. He wants to know why aren't they, these athletes being trusted. He, he feels that they're being kind of held back a little bit. Do you, do you feel the same way, Coach, that these guys need to be out there attacking more, especially on defense, and just kind of let these good athletes make plays? Well, yeah, you always want to let your athletes play, and you always want your athletes on the field, and you always want them in a position where they can be successful. There's no question about that. And uh, at the end of the year last year, I felt, and I know a lot of you feel the same way I do, that on any given day at the end of the field, I'd like to see them play Alabama or LSU on a neutral field. I think they could have been very successful. And I'm not saying they could have beat them, but I'll tell you what, it had been one heck of a football game. Uh, they could have beat him. And I thought what would happen, they would learn from their success at the end of the year. It all started around uh, Notre Dame, and they just got better and better and better when the McNeil and the running game got going, and they spread the ball around, and they were throwing the ball to the tight ends and everything else. I thought they'd start the season the way they finished the season, and they didn't. They started the season the same way as they started the season last year. And they still need to discover, and it's almost the same time, the first conference game on the road, it was Arizona State last year, this year at Stanford. These guys know you. What I'm saying is these guys play you every year. So they've got charts on all your tendencies and everything in the can. When you play a non-conference team, they don't know you like the other coaches know you. They work on you all year round. Hash marks, this is what they like to do. This is uh, the thing. Uh, the, you know, they know you, so you have got to give them something that counteracts what their game plan is. And if you don't do that, they're going to do what they did on Saturday. The defensive line of Stanford, they had a field day. Why? They knew, first of all, you had a center in there, a young center that uh, they wanted to dominate and mess up the snaps. And on the one touchdown run, well, he fumbled two plays in a row but got the toss off. And, you know, I, I just don't know. Now, I was wondering, and, and I hope Hobie was playing because he was the best, but you got Abe Markovich, you got Martinez who can move down, you've got different things you could have done. But now I hear Abe might have been hurt, but I never knew he was hurt. I mean, I really don't know who's hurt. Why they're not playing? Did they make the trip? Adari's number is being worn by somebody else. I mean, it's almost like I don't know what's happening that way, and that's none of my business. Obviously, someone has a philosophy. 
of doing that. But you've got to be able to learn from your past success and respect your opponent to know that this is what these guys are doing because you're doing it yourself to the other opponents. And you scout yourself even every day. In fact, I used to scout my own self. I would put a coach or a GA on scouting us. I would know every single thing my opponents knew about us. And they would come in and say, hey, coach, this is what you're doing all the time on third down. You're in this formation. And it's a tendency. Because i got to know what to counteract because i not to know what they know. Because everything's so computerized today that they know everything about you. So there's, the only thing now is match up a personnel. How do you match your personnel up? How do you put them in a position by formations? What do you do to take away their best player? What do you do to help your weakest spot so that you can win a football game? And these are the things you have to do. So I'm not going to get into what they could have done, but it's too late. It's what they're going to do as far as against Cal. Okay. Um, we we have a lot of offensive line questions that we're going to talk with Dan Weber about, but I wanted to let you talk about that too, at least a little bit. Martin on Ontario wants to know, from what I've seen, it seems like this offensive line is not firing off the line, knowing who to block, but is looking for someone to come to them and block, especially in run blocking. What have, what have you seen, Coach, of how this offensive line is handling some of the fronts they've seen? Well, uh, that caller is is correct uh, they have a different philosophy than stanford they are what they call a zone blocking team uh, you step to the area of the play and you pick up who comes to that area or if the guy doesn't move you take the guy that, that's on you and it's very difficult to own the line of scrimmage when you block like that uh myself i like getting out and owning the line of scrimmage and playing on their side of the football not allowing them to play on our side of the football if you notice, a lot of times the backs are stopped on the offensive line of the scrimmage. Not stopped necessarily all the time, but bounce back, and then they make a great play out of it, and they bounce and go the other way and get a play. I, As long as I've gone to SC's practice, and you go to more SC practice than I do, right? you're there all the time, I've never seen SC in what you call a breaker, goal line, short yard type of offense uh, like like a team like Stanford. You saw Stanford with four tight ends, or a tackle at even tight end, two big guys in the backfield, Hewitt at fullback, and saying, here we come. Uh, you're there. I don't care if you're there. You're not going to be there. That's the way it is around here. I used to be able to – I used to have goal line plays or short yardage plays or running game, I used to call it. This is running game. We're not going to throw the ball one time. I wanted a secondary. Everybody knew we're not throwing the ball. Don't worry about it. We're not throwing it. I wanted to see our team run the football at the most difficult situation. That means the receivers had to block. Everybody had to block. You had to get off the line of scrimmage. We needed to prove that we had to run the football. Now, I don't know if I've seen that. I've seen that down on the other field when it's just when it's just uh, offense against defense as far as, you know, three on three, five on five down there. But I haven't seen it as a team. I haven't seen it on goal line that way. I haven't seen really the offensive line drive out and hit a sled 15 times in a row, which I used to use that as conditioning because I wanted it to be like in a game-type situation, not running, 
but hitting something, come back, get in the huddle, break the huddle, go up, hit it again, drive the sled 15 yards, get back, get in the huddle, break it again, go, and move down the field. Move the sled 50 yards, move the sled 100 yards to get the legs, conditioning, learn how to breathe, recover, run the next play. Now, I'm not saying that's the way you coach today, but that's the way I believe you become physical, physical. Well, you know, you're not afraid to hit somebody in the mouth or come off the football or get your arm cut. Everything today and most of the things I see is arm blocking. Not that you don't arm block. That's what most people are doing. But you've got to be tough and you've got to own the line of scrimmage. You can't let defenses play on your side of the line of scrimmage. You can't allow that. Now, philosophy is something, too. If you're a zone-blocking team, you're not going to have that type of physical team. But I think you've got to have the strength to know that when you need a yard, you don't have to pass for it. Okay. Uh, let's see. We'll try to squeeze a few more in here. Um, Gene from the OC says, I love the podcast and never miss a week. Well, he says, well, if this isn't proof we need a coaching change, there never will be. Monty cannot design a pass defense, defend against the modern-day pass schemes. Lane obviously needs an offensive co-coordinator. His play selection is poor. He never really has one play leading to the next. Uh, we had some a lot of different questions, Coach, about people thinking that they need some coaching changes. I don't know if it's the best time to do it right now, but what are your thoughts on that? Well, I, I said this last week, and I'll say it again. I'm never for coaching changes because I've been a coach. But there's a time of evaluation on uh, the part of Lane Kiffin himself and also as a overall football program. You know, I felt I was only as good as what surrounded me. Now, when I was in junior college, I was a coordinator. I coached the defense as a coordinator, and I also did the offensive coordinating and managed the game. Uh, that's something you do, but you don't have 25 coaches in the whole package. But I went when I went to UNLV, I did not become a coordinator. I had to manage the game. I had to support both sides of the football and special teams. I had to let them know I cared as much about the defense as I did the offense. And I had to have responsibly given out responsibility given out to people who I trusted, who were good at what they did, and I supported them. Now, if any area broke down, then I had to make a decision at that time on whether that individual was capable or that individual was not utilizing the personnel or I needed to talk to him about changes. Now, when you're a head football coach in a Division One level, and obviously I was not at USC or Alabama at that level, but all the duties are the same. I had one day a press conference and another day a press conference, and I had to speak, and then I had quarterback club meeting, and then I had the radio show, and then I had a TV show. I had a lot of distractions, and then the AD wanted to meet with me. Then I had to go out with a booster because the booster was going to give a lot of money, so I had to go meet with him for lunch and so on. So I had a lot of distraction away from the football program, so I had to have competent people running and being around my kids all the time when I was absent or I wasn't there. And I had that type of confidence. And if I didn't have that type of confidence, then obviously I'm in a position to where I need to make some changes or you know what's going to happen? They're going to make a change with me. That's exactly what happened. So... I have to be in a position to recognize what my strong points are and my strong points of my staff and the weaknesses of myself. And when I'm weak in a certain area, then you know what I need to do? Get somebody that's really strong in the area that I'm not too strong in. 
And I think that's what happens in life, in business. You've got to surround yourself with people who know and do it, and you've got to sit up there and evaluate them as well as you do yourself and how you can be successful. So I'm not going to say you should be an offensive coordinator. I'm just saying it's very difficult. All right. Uh, I know we've gone a little long, but I'll, I'll give you one last one, Coach, uh, from Andrew. He says, is losing a good thing? Will the Trojans play much more inspired the rest of the year following this loss? Losing is never a good thing. You work all year to win every single game. Uh, I've never learned more from losing. I think that uh, I remember all the games I lost. I can't remember all the games we won, but I can remember all the games we lost and why. Some on myself, some on other things, some on a fumble, some on a bad coverage. It's always a reason that I second-guess myself on all of those losses. Uh, but you can't sit back and dwell about it. If you do that, you're going to lose the next game. I'll tell you, Cal went, I, I just said this a moment ago, I hate to repeat myself. Cal went back to Ohio State and played them back there well. They gained a lot of confidence from that game. I can hear Tedford right now saying, watch this film. We can beat these guys. We can beat them at home. And uh, and SC's got to look at themselves, improve the areas uh, like they're trying to improve, coaching-wise and player-wise. It was, a, it was a team loss. Let me put it to you that way. Let's don't point the finger. Let's just say there's ways of improvement in all areas. Every day and every way you try to improve yourself, including myself. So I think that they've got to, like I said, put a bandage on the bleeding and move on. Because if you don't move on, you'll lose another game. So you better get going and, and getting it done. And, yo, know, I, I don't think you ever lose any. It wouldn't get better because you lost. It's too depressing. Go uh, ahead. Okay, Coach. Well, thanks again. Sorry we went a little bit long. It's gonna You knew it was going to be a big show with – all the questions that we got in there. But thanks again for sharing all your insights, and uh, we'll talk to you next week, hopefully under uh, better circumstances, I guess you could say. Well, I hope so. And for all of you, we, did, we didn't get to your questions. I apologize, but uh, Dan will be up next, and uh, Dan will give you a good answer. Okay, guys, thank you very much. All right, thanks, Coach. Thanks to Southern California Tickets and everyone else back in 30 seconds talking with USCFootball.com beat writer Dan Weber. Meet us on the other side of the break for more of the Peristyle Podcast. Tickets, tickets, tickets. SC Tickets is your concert, sports, and theater ticket source. We have the tickets you need to any event worldwide. Football tickets are now available. Call SC Tickets now at 1-800-888-7287. 1-800-888-7287. That's 1-800-888-7287. Or visit us on the web at sctickets.com. SC Tickets, concert, sports, and theater. We now return to the Peristyle Podcast and your host, Ryan Abraham. Welcome back here on the Peristyle Podcast. We are joined by uscfootball.com beat writer Dan Weber. Dan and myself are up there in the Bay Area checking out the USC football team. Lose to Stanford twenty-one to fourteen. Uh, Dan, it was a kind of a strange, I guess, uh, environment after the game where you got to see Lane Kiffin in this little tent addressing the media. We saw Matt Barkley with his head down and T.J. McDonald. Both of those guys looked like they were 
almost in tears uh, addressing questions from the media. I've never seen Matt Barkley answer questions like that. One word answers, never really looking at anyone. Uh, it was just kind of a strange environment overall. Yeah. I, I mean, I think obviously uh, the situation was so difficult for Matt. I mean, he basically, you know, he couldn't take a step. He got the ball and he, somebody was getting knocked into his, uh, you know, into his, into his feet. Uh, I mean, he barely could get three steps and before he threw it. I mean, the game, as, as the game went on, it got worse. I mean, he had what they were doing. The, you know, the, the USC offensive line was, uh, uh, you know, it made it almost an impossible situation from that. And, and I could understand at the end, you had no chance. I mean, uh, that last series, uh, when, you know, they're, they're a touchdown behind and they end up, Fourth and thirty-nine after a series where they, uh, uh, let's say, two penalties. Uh, uh, let's see, two penalties. I'm trying to think how all the things that happened on that series. Uh, uh, two incompletions. Uh, how? I mean, you know, uh, they ran the ball in the first play. Uh, I think Matt was just. Stunned, not only that you know they lost and all that he put into the game and put into the season and his career and what have you, but that as the game went on, it looked like they had no chance. I mean, it looked like they couldn't run a play. Uh, that Stanford had them so figured out, it had them so buffaloed and bullied that basically, uh, you know, what were we going to do? And that's what in Matt's mind is thinking what's there to do. So he didn't want to say, I don't think what he was really thinking. So he basically could give you a one word answer. And then as, as Lane told us yesterday, he got hit harder and more times and was beat up in ways in which, you know, it had never happened before. And, uh, I, I, I was looking at, you know, at some of the parasol yesterday and people were talking about, Oh, this is a guy that doesn't like to get hit around, and he doesn't like to stand in there. That was those were some of the stupidest comments I've ever seen from people. He's trying to make plays. If he gets knocked down, he can't make a play. So he's trying to throw the ball before he gets hit. For people to say like, "Oh, he doesn't want to stand in there." What do you mean stand in there? He's gonna get knocked down if he stood in there. I mean, basically. His setter was getting thrown past him faster than Mac could retreat to set up his uh, set up in uh, you know in the pocket. I mean it was uh, I feel, you know I, I mean he's never had to deal with a situation like that. And USC didn't figure out much to help him. You know did he need to be in the shotgun all night long? Uh, did he need you know uh, the fullback in there all the time? Did they need two tight ends? Whatever they needed, they didn't have it in that game. And if I were Matt, I would have one word answers might have been more than I would have been able to give if <laughs> I had to do what he what he did. So, but it was a we'd never seen anything like that. We hadn't, and uh, I, you know, you touched on probably the. I mean, we got a lot of questions this week, as I mentioned earlier in the podcast. Just and a lot of them were on the the USC offensive line. So we'll try to get to some of them. We'll start off with a, a more general one. It's a, a voicemail question. Hey guys, Andrew from San Diego here. Oh. I've seen the Stanford 
21-14 victory over the Trojans this Saturday, I noticed that Andre Walker and Cyrus Hobie were absolute liabilities. What can the Trojans do to fix this problem? Well, they're going to do something uh, at least on uh, one of the spots with uh, uh, elevating, uh, you know, Max Turk to, you know, the first group with, uh, you know, with Walker at left tackle and and compete there. Um, yeah, I would have uh, – I probably – looking at the offensive line going into the week, and this is second-guessing, obviously, but in my own mind all week long, kept thinking they're not doing enough to have this group ready. Uh, that this group, you know, I mean, basically this group was attacked by Hawaii and Syracuse. And in both games, we heard the same thing. They did things we haven't seen before. Uh, they were, you know, lining up two guys in the gap or Syracuse was, you know, that was Hawaii or Syracuse was there were all these explanations about the trouble that they were having on the offensive line, and you're thinking, whoa, you're having trouble on the offensive line against Hawaii and Syracuse? You know, now you're going to play a really legitimate, you know, big-time, physical, tough, uh, changing fronts, uh, doing things in you know ways in which they really do try to come after you, they manhandle you, and... Uh, as the game went on, it got just way worse. I mean, you know, the more Stanford realized, you know, what they could do, they uh, they upped their competitive level, and it was pretty obvious the USC kids uh, dropped theirs. I mean, they basically uh, that last series, it almost looked like, and uh, and giving up a couple of sacks also. That the USC kids didn't want to compete on the offensive line, uh, mostly. We'll say that for everybody. But some of the guys that, that maybe are able to compete at a, at a higher level than others, I think were asked to do things in terms of helping people out. It got them in a, a frame of mind of, you know, what do I do first? You know, which guy do I help out on which side? Uh, it was... Uh, an absolute disaster. Uh, that team was that team wasn't prepared well enough to compete with Stanford uh, up front. It obviously, wasn't uh, too many missed assignments, too much uh, inability to just physically compete. I mean, they just weren't weren't ready to do that. Now that the coaches didn't understand that, that they thought you know second half we're going to be okay, uh, and then say things like. Wow, we were shocked that we couldn't do anything. There's a level of uh, uh, unreality to the, to where the the USC coaches were in this game. I mean, they didn't seem to understand how much difficulty they were in, and probably you know the kind of difficulty that would have required you to do some really serious adjustment to what you were trying to do, and not try to do maybe the normal game plan, you know. I mean, they just couldn't do it. It was obvious they couldn't do it. I guess they were lucky Stanford didn't realize that the first half. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. Well, we got some other... So, anyway, that's one thing. I would I would probably take a look at moving people. I, I, I think, for example, we don't know how long is Callan Holmes out. And, and Lane wouldn't talk about that yesterday. Obviously, they brought him out Saturday. Was that all just to 
you know, was that to throw off Sanford for the first play? I mean, you know, or do they really think they would see if, if you know, a guy who hadn't practiced all week uh, was, you know, actually going to be able to play? Because, okay, so you bring him out all week, you know, or bring him out in, in pregame, so what? Uh, he ain't going to be in there during the game. <laughs> if, if he's not going to be in there during the game, who are you fooling? Uh, so, not sure how that went, but, you know, uh, you know, do they have other choices at center? Well, um, Nate Markowitz might not be ready to go yet, but uh, they do have, you know, John Martinez, who uh, uh pretty solid center. Uh, you still have to make some other switches. Uh, when you look at what happened in Stanford, making a lot of switches couldn't have been any worse than what they did. Uh, so do you just say, we're going to try to get our best five offensive linemen on the field, no matter what position they play. Well, maybe the, the Turk, the Turk move, uh, is, uh, is a start. Uh, he, I know we got to, I know one of the things he's been having trouble with as good as he looks when you watch him out there is he's really had trouble maintaining his weight. Uh, he has, uh, he's dropped uh, a good bit of weight since he got into USC. So, uh, uh, he might be exhibit A on uh, what has to happen with the USC um, uh, food and meal uh, situation as well. Well, th- we have a bunch of other questions on the offensive okay. line, so I'll, I'll I'll try to we're gonna try to get to all. I know we can't get to all the questions. There. There's just so many, but Andrew and uh, JJB kind of wrote in about this too. But uh, Andrew said it, but I thought it was interesting. As a fan, I watched Andre Walker and Cyrus Harvey get beat play after play. Why didn't Kiffin pull them? Um, do you, do you, any reason why you think Dan that that there wasn't any kind of switches when the offensive line was playing so bad? I think that's uh, I think you're right. I, I don't think they've gotten everybody ready. Uh, I, I don't think they went. I think and there is a difference. Stanford basically goes into a game with seven or eight offensive linemen, including the freshmen that USC would have probably liked to have, and uh, that's not how USC does it. You know, they basically go in with five. And uh, without a lot of thought of uh, you know having having backups ready to go, uh, it's an, probably an issue. Yeah, uh, but uh, it, it certainly didn't look like and, and that they had someone else ready to go. And and I think that was an oversight. I think Turk he had to have been in the thinking all week long, and he was. I don't get the sense that he was. Uh, you know, what they're doing this week seems a week late. Uh, now, you know, again, the question is, where do you, you know, get him ready to go? Uh, I thought, you know, as much as we saw Walker with difficulty, and part of that was the way Stanford decided to attack him and isolate him and make him use his feet and make him really compete uh, and, and really, you know, uh, they, I think they widened up lined up their splits a little bit and kind of isolated him in a way that, you know, that Matt Collier would have said, oh, great, I'm going to, you know, you get any wider than that, we're going to drive a truck through, you know, this hall. Well, that just didn't, you know, didn't happen. And they weren't able to take advantage of it. I don't think Stanford could have done that last year, obviously. Uh, but uh, it didn't look like, it looked like USC was hoping they could just slide through this one, get through this week, and maybe 
and having the 14-7 lead at halftime, thought maybe we'll be able to just get it, you know, get out of here, and then we'll figure it out next week. And I don't think they anticipated they were going to get totally shut down the second half. So uh, they just didn't do enough things, obviously, uh, you know, for the situation. Um, another one is about uh, Marcus Martin. He said, it appears that Marcus Martin was protected last year by two All-Americans, Holmes and Khalil, and he totally disintegrated in their absence. Of course, Walker and Hobie were, were owned all night as well, but they're younger and unproven. Kevin Graff did not embarrass himself, although John Martinez, no excuses, had his worst game as a Trojan. Have you seen a weaker USC offensive line since the Ted Tolner era? Wow, pretty well, rough. Well, I mean, I, I think there's... I think when you go into that level of detail, I think you're probably taking a, 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 you're overstepping because I think you have no idea what the calls were on the line. You have no idea, for example, whose responsibility was who. I know, for example, that at least uh, one of the really uh, bad whiffs uh, I think has been credited to John Martinez when that wasn't it wasn't his fault. It wasn't his responsibility, and he ended up trying to make the block on a play that, that he absolutely did not have the responsibility for. And I guess from what I understand on the film, it probably doesn't look as bad as maybe it uh, it did in the game. I think John is one of the guys that tries to help or that they actually use and expect to help others. And he was in a pretty difficult spot uh, last night, uh, or excuse me, Saturday night. But I think he, he probably did – Better than than even he thought, uh, but it wasn't you know one of his better games. But I, I think to go into that level and say that, that about you know without knowing all the details uh, is probably incorrect. Although I think with Marcus Martin, uh, I think having Matt Khalil next to him last year, uh, who now when you look back at it was so much the best offensive lineman in the country by by such a long, you know, like, you know, in terms of athleticism and activity and uh, never taking a playoff and uh, 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 the, just the willingness to engage and hit people and all the things that Matt Khalil did, he was almost a freak now that you look at it and think uh, if you were lining up next to him, even if you were a 17-year-old and had never played college, you know, football before like Marcus Martin, you better, but you know, stay in the game. And it does look like some of the, you know, just having you know Matt Khalil not there has taken a level of uh, involvement and, and concentration, and uh, you know, uh, just it's just not there. I mean, it, I mean, when you see guys three straight plays, don't hit anybody or, you know, they're not in, you know, involved in, in three straight plays. And, uh, you just think, what, what's going on out there? Uh, but it looks like I would say you could almost make the case that every, you know, on that offensive line, has anybody gotten any better? Uh, have they all regressed? Um, it's, uh, it's, it's shocking. Now they did lose, I think the other thing is they lost Red Ellison as well. And I think Red Ellison, they lost by far their two best blockers last year. And uh, when you do that, and the rest of them don't get any better, uh, I mean, I think it should have probably been a little bit worrisome when you, after the first two games, the people are talking and coaches are agreeing 
the two best blockers on this team were uh, wide receivers, Robert Woods and Marquise Lee. I mean, when your two best blockers are your wide, you know, all-American wide receivers, that's probably not a good thing. Uh, probably not, Dan. Um, there's also so I wanted to. Uh, there's two more quick ones I want to get to on the offensive line. That I, just, I don't want to spend all the time on the offensive line, but uh, Stephen Poway says I couldn't help but wonder if this game's fate was sealed February first, two thousand twelve, signing day, when USC lost out on Andres Pete and Kyle Murphy, two five-star offensive linemen who signed with Stanford. Had either of those two or both signed with USC, perhaps Andre Walker would have remained at guard, helping to shore up uh, the interior of the offensive line. What do you think? I think it's a possibility. I think whether it was those two or two guys who went to Stanford, just having, I mean, they, uh, I think they, there are a number of offensive linemen that maybe, uh, uh, aren't at the level of a national championship team that, that for all kinds of reasons, um, you know, just aren't, aren't geared up, uh, you know, to help USC physically, uh, health-wise. If you look down the roster of, of offensive linemen, you probably don't have a full roster of, of national, you know, championship caliber. I mean, if you would match up USC's offensive line roster with, say, Alabama's, uh, you would say, okay, this is a place where where USC really uh, really doesn't compete. And just the fact that if you have those guys, you have more competition. I mean, is there competition on the, you know, well, okay, now we're, this week maybe we're, you know, we're going to see some competition. But has there been competition? I mean, Andre Walker basically missed almost all of pre preseason. Just kind of was given the position. Didn't have to really do anything other than, you know, come back from those three injuries that, you know, nobody could figure out what they were while they, while they had them. And then, you know, told us later what he, what he said they were. But, uh, but basically, uh, there wasn't much that we saw of him in preseason that said, yeah, this guy won that position, or yeah, this guy can do this or can do that. All we know is, you know, he's really big and he lost a lot of weight. And I think a lot of people felt that his his ability to focus on the weight loss and all of that was was a plus. That you know, this was a you know serious uh, effort to be as good as he could be. But was that followed through with you know effort on the field? Uh, and, and could you have done that if you had, you know, two or three or, or you know, more really uh, top caliber offensive linemen? Probably not. So, yeah, I think there's a lack of a lack of competition on the offensive line. I don't think there's any question about that. And one last one from Mac D said, Kiffin said in the Sunday night teleconference that the left tackle position is open this week between Walker and Turek. Is there also a possibility that Jeremy Galton could push Marcus Martin for the left guard spot as well? Uh, one would hope so. One would one would really like to see the reinstitution of the uh, you know competition Tuesday and, and really really have them uh, you know everywhere everywhere you know that that they go. Uh, and I know they're thinking about the future, and you you think uh, you, you really do not want to give up on a kid, but uh, 
there were some performances Saturday night that, that, that make you think they really need to have competition at every, uh, you know, at every spot, and they need to think about do we have to maybe, uh, you know, make some moves, uh, move some guys over? Do we have to cut down what we're doing? Or, you know, is it too complex? You know, are there too many calls? I know they said they simplified them some. Uh, you know, were they just way too hopeful? that a, a kid has never, A, played college ball, B, never played center, C, never played against Stanford, you know, the one team that, that has a big, tough nose tackle right on head up, uh, were they asking too much? You know, was that, you know, wishful thinking? I mean, would they have been better off with John Martinez, who's played uh, two full years as a starting offensive lineman who is basically a very good center, would you have been better off with him at center knowing he's going to have somebody right on him the whole time and you better get that squared away first so that you don't have a guy knocking the center head over heels through Matt Barkley before, you know, Matt gets, you know, set up. Uh, I'm not sure that they understood. It doesn't look like when you look at the game, did USC really understand what, what they were facing? Uh, and I, I'm not sure they they came up with the right answers. That's uh, too bad. You're not going to gain more shots at Stanford. I think of all the things, if if you think of Matt and uh, T.J. McDonald sitting there after the game, it's the thought of we just went 0 for 4 against Stanford in our careers. I mean, just thought of that is just it's just almost impossible to imagine that that that, that just happened to you. Yeah, I think that players definitely had a hard time dealing with it. I think the fans did as well. Um, well, it, it's there, we had a lot of offensive line questions. Obviously, we went through hopefully we went through a bunch of them, not even all of them. A lot of the other questions came about were about play calling, and uh, here's one from Steven San Diego. He says, "Dan, if Stanford was pressuring my quarterback, I would call rollout passes, a screen (parentheses not a bubble screen), reverses, etc. I know Coach Kiffin has a lot more knowledge than I do when it comes to calling a game." Do you think it's time he let someone else call the offense? That's Steve in San Diego. Well, I do think there, being a head coach of a college football team, there's a whole lot going on. And I know, Matt, you know, Lane has said, gosh, this is the only way I know how to do it, is the play caller. I do think it limits you in ways in which if you do some of the things and make some of the adjustments and do some of the thinking that it, requires to be a head coach, especially in a situation where, uh-oh, we're here, we thought this was going to go, and now it's obviously not going to go. What do we do? You can't think those thoughts if you're still trying to think what the next three plays are and you're writing on your, you know, on your play uh, you know, sheet. Uh, so I, that would be my call. Uh, I'm not sure the staff is – currently constituted in a way that they could do that. that that's part of the problem. Uh, how, how would they do that? But, uh, yeah, I think it, uh, the dual role gets really exposed in a game like that where what you thought you could do, clearly you can't do. And the fact that they were, were, were leaving, you know, they, they, they looked like they made no adjustments at halftime hoping to skate through. And... Uh, Whereas it looked like Stanford realized what they could do and up the ante second half. And 
flip things around. Uh, I I think it's very very difficult to be the play caller and to be the um, and to be the head coach. I mean, I think things just like little things like what about a toss sweep? You know, Stanford's coming down inside with those linebackers and and really putting all that pressure on Matt. You know what? Why not? You know, a, a toss sweep. Uh, that kind of thing. I'm thinking one of the problems with, uh, you know, people wanted to, you know, roll the quarterback out, and, and a lot of that occurs on play action where you, you know, you fake the, the dive or the off tackle, and you give the quarterback a chance to, you know, to roll out on a on a little a bootleg action. The problem was, and this has happened, you know, all year, is whenever Matt does that, teams aren't respecting the run. Therefore, they come, I mean, Matt's head is, I mean, Syracuse, they were trying to take Matt's head off whenever he did that uh, because they came right, you know, they ignored the, uh, they ignored the run and they came right after Matt. So the kind of thing that's been a staple of USC's offense, that ability to run that little play action where the quarterback gets a nice little, uh, you know, roll and uh, gets to throw the ball on the run with a little bit of time, which gives your receivers also time to get uh, down the field. You can run some deep patterns. I mean, how few deep patterns did USC get to run? They just couldn't. But uh, until you can run the ball, until that's a threat, uh, you know, Matt can't do that. So there's a whole lot of, you know, things that were going on uh, that – but, you know, do you make the decision, for example, in this game, do you realize we can't block them up front? Uh, we're going we're gonna to go to shotgun and just – I mean, by the end of the game, they essentially – all they did was try to throw, you know, throw the ball to the outside short. Uh, and they also do. They couldn't bring guys across eventually. Uh, they, they, they were so limited – but then if you're going to do that, are you better off going with, you know, extra wide receivers and shotgun? Maybe. I, I just think they thought they didn't have to adjust as much as they did. And, and that, you know, fits into the role of dual role of uh, play caller and head coach. Um, we talked a lot about the offense. I guess we can switch to the defense a little bit. Personally, I didn't think the defense played all that bad. They were in some... I mean, they played really well in the first half, and you know, besides that big run they gave up, but just uh, there was a lot of tough spots when your offense gives three and out almost every time. Yeah. But uh, Jacqueline wanted to know: Do you think that USC? She says, "I think most USC fans want Monty Kiffin to be fired. We know he's a legendary coach, but his Tampa two scheme is out of touch, and it's made for the NFL. Any chance Kiffin gives Kirby Smart, John Chivas, or Todd Gr- Grantham a call. <laughs> She's setting her expectations high here. She wants something else to to happen. Hey, uh, you know, uh, it it did certainly look like that. You know, maybe uh, Joe Barry was the, you know, heir apparent, uh, and we know how that turned out. So uh, uh, I'm not sure I, you know, throw any throw any names in there. And I think we uh, we had the feeling that bringing in. Uh, Scotty Hazleton and uh, and Marvin Sanders would give more of a college feel to it. But what you notice the other night is that as the game goes on, uh, Stanford ratcheted up the pressure. And Stanford was able to shut down USC's All-Americans with much lesser athletes uh, in their secondary. And that USC's better athletes we would say at least certainly on high school, you know, recruiting rankings and what have you, 
uh, as it turned out, were not able to stay with Stanford's wide, or, uh, tight ends. Stanford, I mean, the, you know, the game's won on a tight end running a double-cut pattern against a USC cornerback and beating him down the field. How does that happen? How are Stanford's tight ends able to, uh, you know, make plays on USC's All-Americans can't make plays on on Stanford's lesser athletes and and USC's, uh, you know, better athletes at corner, for example, aren't able to stay with Stanford tight ends down the field. How is it that Matt Barkley, you know, ends up running for his life and Stanford's got a brand-new quarterback who, as the game goes on, I mean, he had a really rough first half, 6 of 17, but as the game goes on, Josh Nunez looked like uh, he was, you know, auditioning for Andrew Luck's spot. You know, I mean, it's just that game went, you know, two different directions, and a lot of that is the, the, the theory of how do, we, uh, how do we do defense? How do we – do we ratchet up the pressure or do we ease off the pressure and be, play it really safe uh, – and USC tends to go to, at times in the game, don't let them throw the long ball. Don't let them throw the long ball. Of course, USC gets beat on the long ball. Uh, yes, there are questions. Uh, as, as much as the defense has improved and the defense didn't really lose the game, had two really bad plays, and that was two touchdowns. Or three really bad plays, if you really, when you think about it. Uh, and uh, one involved a whole lot of open field tackle misses. Uh, and probably the second biggest play, the Josh Nunez scramble, uh, also involved a bunch of open field tackle misses. So, uh, you know, in general, pretty good effort by the defense. Probably if you took four plays out of there, they, you know, they throw a shutout. But you can't take those four plays out. Um, here's one from Earl in West L.A. The elephant... Sitting in the so- sitting on the sofa, finally stood up and wreaked havoc. His name is injuries. The loss of Andre Hidari, Khalid Holmes proved to be far more significant than we fear. We had about a running. Uh, I'm sorry about a running back going down. How are we to overcome this? Love the show, Earl in uh, West LA. Well, I think uh, Andre Hidari. They would have let him kick it. Uh, obviously, I think they say that he had a reason why they didn't let Alex would kick that ball. Uh, I, I think you've got to take three points. I, I don't care what the, you know, I mean, I would have let me kick it. You know, I think you need to get that second. You need to get the the second score ahead. Uh, so I, I thought that was desperation to throw the ball uh, to a guy who, one catch maybe, uh, you can't do that. Uh, and then, you know, here's Stanford Smart. Uh, they thought they you know, Stanford had shown that they were they wouldn't be able to cover that play uh, when they did it you know the first time when they uh, lined up and saw what Stanford would do or uh, at least that's what they felt that they couldn't defend the second receiver that Savanuka was but uh, there uh, there was a Stanford guy making a perfect play uh, so. Uh, there might have been places where they did outthink themselves and maybe uh, adjusted too much uh, to the absence of, you know, Hadari. Uh, and Colin Holmes, probably uh, knowing his health history the last couple of years, one would have liked to have seen 
a more clear-cut answer for the backup center. And had uh, you know had Markowitz been in 100%, you know, such, you know, and ready to go, would that have changed things? Probably. Uh, that they got the double whammy, uh, you know, of, of in the Syracuse game, both at the end of the game, bang, bang, uh, so that they had no choice. They, they thought, um, you know, it happened. I mean, I'm not sure that the extra 10 scholarships, uh, you know, uh, would have covered that. Injuries are always going to be a problem. I mean, that's not something that uh, – that, you know, is USC situation, you know, I mean, most teams have one good kicker. And if he, uh, he gets hurt, now you wish he wouldn't have to get hurt covering up for uh, uh, a kickoff team that runs by the, uh, you know, basically their first shot of the year with a lot of focus on the kickoff team and making sure it does its job. And here they are, first play of the year that they get to go and they run by every, you know, everybody runs by and your kicker has to make the tackle or at least try to make the tackle. So, uh, uh, it's not just injuries. Uh, uh you know, you're going to have injuries and, and you got to adjust. Good teams have the ability to not let injuries, uh, uh, you know, to completely throw them off and you just have to compete through it and figure out a way to do it. And USC did not. Uh, here's one that I thought you might be interested in answering from Brian. He said, I believe that a finesse football team like USC cannot in the end compete with a team that dominates on the lines like Alabama or Stanford. The old Stanford teams was used to pass the ball all over the place. Could never beat the McKay and Robinson teams that would run the ball and wear down the opponent until they cried. Uncle, I would like your comment if you agree or disagree with this. Yeah, I completely agree. I think for example, the thing that USC had an advantage when they went into games with, uh, oh, say a really good Michigan team or a really good Ohio State team or a really good Penn State team or a really good Oklahoma team is USC was much more physical than those teams realized. They're an Auburn team or whatever. The good USC teams always were physical teams. Obviously, you go back into the McKay era, and, you know, I mean, as a kid growing up in you know, Cincinnati, the thing you noticed about USC was they had these great offensive linemen who were really big guys who could run and hit people. And as much as USC got, you know, the credit for being, the, you know, the glamour and the tailbacks and all that, that was a thing that I noticed. You know, you notice the, uh, you know, the Tony Vaselli and, you know, uh, Anthony Munoz and, all those guys that, you know, you just said, wow, you know, other teams don't have guys like that. And those guys aren't, you know, aren't there now. And uh, so USC has become kind of the stereotype that the SEC people wanted to put on USC was, oh, they're all flash and they're not going to hit you and they're not going to, you know, really be able to push you around and all that. And uh, unfortunately, this USC team is kind of, in that place. I mean, they, they basically, uh, you know, the five guys up front kind of line up in a way that makes it look like, wow, are they going to pass block on every play? You know, they got their heads up and their butt down and they're kind of sitting there and it doesn't look like they're, you know, lined up to really come out and just drive you off the line of scrimmage at all. I mean, they, they just have a look this year that says we're not very physical. 
but we're not going to come out and, and, and really knock you in the face and, and move you back, and, and, and we're not going to attack you. And we're just going to hope we get through this and don't make any mistakes. And uh, uh, that's probably not a good way to be. It's certainly not a good way to be against a Stanford team that only does one thing uh, and believes in it, does it well, says this is what, who we are, this is what we're going to do. If it's not good enough, well, we tried. Uh, but it doesn't look like USC has a kind of a sense of exactly who it is, how they're going to win football games, and uh, they need to find that right away. But uh, they've lost uh, a lot of time because now I think we really do know where this USC offensive line and this offense is. And uh, I think they're going to get attacked. Now, the good news, I guess, is everybody's not Stanford. And Stanford doesn't match up that well with other teams. They do match up well with USC, it's obvious. Uh, whether other teams will go to school on what Stanford did and try to do, you know, with Cal this week, will they try to do what Stanford did? It'll, you would think they will. Can they? We'll see. And can USC do anything to adjust to it? I don't know. Uh, but we haven't seen an attitude of those uh, previous USC teams uh, that where they take a lot of pride in, we're tougher than you are. We're going to knock you off the line of scrimmage. We're going to, you know, you may not know that we're this tough, but we really are. Uh, this doesn't look like a team that thinks it's very tough or it plays with much confidence up front at all. Uh, and that, that really has to change. All right, Dan. Well, great stuff as always. Really appreciate your insight and, uh, You've been up on the road and talking to other players and, and the coaches and stuff. It's really helped a lot. We'll we'll find out a lot more this week and, uh, as USC heads to play California at home after a couple of days on the road. A couple of days on the road. Uh, thanks again, Dan, for joining the show, and we'll talk to you next time. It should be an interesting week. It certainly <laughs> should be. Hopefully, they won't be talk about banning any media members this week. It'll just mostly be about football. But uh, uh, I hope so. <laughs> thanks everyone else for tuning right. in to the Peristyle Podcast. Hope you enjoyed the show, and we will talk to you all next week. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. And don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your iPod or MP3 player for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store. Music.